I'm Andrea, and welcome to Mas Fino Please, a natural wine podcast where once a week I open up a bottle of wine with other wine lovers and get to know a little bit more about their side of the industry. I'm getting the unfiltered version of the wine world, so pour yourself a glass and stay a while. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode three of Mas Fino Please, the podcast. Today's episode is an incredibly inspiring episode. I had the pleasure of interviewing my friend Kristen, who is the founder and CEO of Nomadica Wines. She is such a badass. She is such a boss. She is the founder and CEO of a sustainable canned wine company, which I'm sure you've seen on my Instagram and on my TikTok and also probably seen just across the board in some of your favorite locations. I personally had the joy of drinking a Nomadica wine while I watched the Rolling Stones perform at SoFi Stadium. Like, she's a badass. She got her fucking product at SoFi Stadium I was able to enjoy it while I was watching the Rolling Stones. Like that is what I aspire to be. I aspire to be that kind of badass. I love Kristen. I love her so much. I have so much fun chatting with her. Every time we get together, we always talk about the wine industry and things that we have going on. And I really always learn so much from her as a leader and as a woman in wine and as a woman in the startup space. Like she really is just somebody that I think we can all learn from. She has so much advice and she's always so willing to share it and to share with others and uplift others. So I am so excited for you to listen to this episode and I hope she inspires you as much as she inspires me. Enjoy. This was one of my first times interviewing somebody, and I realize now that I forgot to mention the wine that we drank at the start of the interview. So we opened up a bottle of Soto Banco Bianco by Andrea Occhipinti. It is an Italian wine, and I purchased it at Good Luck Wine this wine. I brought you an Italian white because I know you are queen of Italian wines and I hope this gets your seal of approval. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite producers. So this is um, like very light skin contact apparently according to Kate. It is, like, I want to say it's like a couple of days, like not very orangey, like lightly orange, maybe intro to orange-ish. We'll see. Everything Kate does is always like... On point. Yeah. Ooh, look at that beautiful golden color. That's for you. Gorgeous. And I have these tiny little tasting glasses that I got at Heaven's Market. These are so cute. Oh my God. I'm down. Okay. I guess I gotta let it. The expression of fruit in this wine. <laughs> okay, this is so good. This is like what I always wish grape juice or apple juice tasted like when I was a child. Mm. Right? Boozy. Like actually wine when your parents were drinking wine and you were drinking Martinelli's. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, you know how there's always like golden apples featured in Mm -hmm. Greek paintings? Mm. Like this is what 
a beverage made from golden apples would taste like. Yes. 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 There's something a beautifully like, painted Renaissance apple. <laughs> exactly. There's something like opulent about this wine and ancient. But also like really light and refreshing because I feel like when you think of opulent wines or or something really dramatic, it tends to be like a bolder, rounder. Or like a white burgundy or something right, like that. Right. Yeah, no, this is more linear and fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very fresh. Oh my God, I love this wine. Excellent wine choice. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> Masvino, please does it again. <laughs> I like heard her recommendation and I was like, I feel like Kristen will love this one. Mm. Here we are. Also, Sicily has my heart forever. Teach us all of your Psalm things. Okay, what I want to know, I want to know, I want to know about Psalm life, but I also want to know about wine company founder life. Okay, so my name is Kristen Olszewski. I'm the founder and CEO of Nomadica Wine. I'm also the wine director at Gigi's in Hollywood. Um, I kind of got started in wine by accident. I did my undergrad degree at UMass Amherst, uh, triple majored because I'm a psycho, and did a triple major in sustainable agriculture, English, and then gender, sex, race, and ethnicity studies. And so okay, clearly- Okay, so like not- No, not, not career focused like at not. all though. <laughs> like what was I even gonna do with that? Um, at the time I thought I was like really cool and cross punk and like dumpster diving and running food not bombs, etc. <laughs> and did a little detour, thought I wanted to be a doctor, did a pre-med mm. post back at Harvard, got into med school. And that's where my life kind of like fell apart and came back together again. Oh, okay. So there was an awakening. So I do not come from a wealthy family. So I had to pay for school myself. Mm -hmm. So I would go and work on this little island off the coast of Massachusetts called Nantucket. So at the time, uh, working on this island were the 1% vacations. Like basically I made like 60 grand in like three months. I could pay for school, do all the things and worked for this program that Julia Childs was actually the opening chef of this restaurant. Oh. Really deep Burgundy and Bordeaux cellar. Okay. Became very educated in wines that most people never get to taste. Uh, like, was that because that it was just like the one really fine dining, wine-focused restaurant like in the area? You just happened to work there and no, so- people just have fuck you money on Nantucket. And they they <laughs> yeah. blow it. I mean, we would do like $10,000 in wine sales a night. Oh and people would be like, hey, do you want to try this first growth Bordeaux? Like, here you go. And I'd be like, what? I've never had oh my God. pictures in my life. And I'm getting to yeah. taste it and then like ride my bike home. So um, you went from like zero to 100. Exactly. In the wine world. And. In terms of tasting wine. I just loved it. Like I love, I was a, I was serving there as a waitress and I loved the energy of restaurants. I always have. And go back to school. Summer's over. So miserable. Like Mm -hmm. I was volunteering at Dana-Farber, which is one of the best cancer hospitals in the country. And like, I fucking hated it. I was like miserable. Every day I'd walk into that hospital, I'd feel the like weight and panic pressing down on my body and I would dread it. And I also started hanging out at this one wine bar near my school called Spoke Wine Bar. And the woman that ran it was like so ahead of the trend. Like Mm -hmm. through her, I got exposed to... Uh, wines from Piedmont and natural wine. She was the first person to show me Frank Cornelison, who's like the godfather of yeah, natural wine. Yeah. Speaking of Sicily. Um, 
And she kept telling me. Can you share what year this was? This was, oh my God, what year was this? This was 2013. Okay. Yeah. So kind of like that was like the first, I feel like first chapter of this like new age natural wine moment or like just wine moment in general that's like currently happening. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. She was ahead of the trend. And she got diagnosed with ALS and very quickly degenerated. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, like I was on this very safe career path. I had done, I'd basically killed myself to get into med school and put myself on this doctor track, but I was so miserable. Mm -hmm. And then watching somebody I really admired have their life cut short, but like she lived her life. Like she, so Felicia who ran this wine bar was like, drop out of school. Who cares? Fuck it. Like do what you want. Throw caution on the wind. And Mm -hmm. I kind of never looked back. What did your parents, how did they feel about it? Oh my God. They were devastated uh they were like this is the biggest decision or like the biggest mistake you've ever made you're gonna regret this oh my gosh wine is not a career like they don't really even drink yeah yeah Um, so they were like super far removed from like the wine culture 100 percent. and like i was the first person in my family to go to college Mm -hmm. so like think about i get to the pinnacle of education like it doesn't get bigger than harvard and i walk away from it and then you know i called up a buddy of mine who owned the restaurant I worked on in Nantucket and I was like can I be a sommelier there this summer and he laughed and said absolutely not um that's so funny that you think you're qualified because <laughs> you just like at that point just thought like anyone who worked with wine well I I thought because I had worked with the psalms there and I was like I have so much passion for it I studied it I know mm-hmm. the wines really well like had you taken like a W set or any kind of like wine education? Everything you learned was on the floor. Everything learned was on the floor, which is great. I'd worked in mm-hmm. many different restaurants uh, with people who are incredibly talented and inspiring. And so, which I some might argue is the best way to learn, right? That's not all some. I'm just kidding. That's no, I'm like, that's my favorite way to learn. Like, yeah. I always tell people, like, go work in a restaurant or like just hang out and drink wine with people who are really mm-hmm. inspired by whatever they're drinking. Like, that's the best way to learn. You don't need to think, but you know, I did then take the classes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. I mean, you've heard me rant about this before, but like we need Psalms and not everyone has to take the class to know a lot about wine or any topic, but there are professionals for a reason, just like there are professional doctors. Like I could web MD a lot of things, but doesn't mean that like, I'm the most qualified person to be talking about that thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know. We, we can get to that, I guess, when I get to that that point in the story. But uh, Scott told me that I could come and basically unload the wine all summer <laughs> and schlep things in the cellar. Okay, a cellar rat, a true yeah, cellar rat. Yeah, and so I was like, cool, great. I'm here for it. But yeah, that summer I just unpacked boxes and organized wine classes, and by the end of the summer I was a psalm. So I met these people working who the floor owned a restaurant group in Palm Springs, and they were like, oh, you should come be oh our God. wine director for the season. Oh my God, mm-hmm. just like that. Just like that. And wow. I was like, yes, great. So from Massachusetts to Palm Springs, very yeah. different lifestyle in both places. Oh my God. Also, like I was in no way qualified to be a wine director. Like <laughs> I had just been like a Psalm for the first time for a couple months and yes, was great at selling wine, have great energy on the floor. I have really great people skills. I think that's like my best asset just professionally. Um, 
but I had no idea how to like run a wine program. Mm -hmm. Never less for like five locations. Oh my God. Yeah. They had five? Yes. Not all in Palm Springs. All in Palm Springs. Oh, all in Palm Springs. So it was Lion's Steakhouse, Birba, Cheeky's, they had a catering company. And then at the time they were doing the food and beverage program for Avalon Hotel. Oh my God. Wait, so Lion, Mr. Lion. Mm -hmm. <gasps> Mad Men vibes and Marilyn and like the Rat Pack and that's just like so insane. That's like really iconic. You were the wine director at Mr. Lion. It was cool. It that's was cool. so insane. And also just like... Freshly in your career, still probably very young. I'm assuming you were what, like probably like 23? I was 24, 25, yeah. 25. Yeah, that's like, oh my God. Yeah, and I was like thriving. Like they yes. set me up with this cool apartment. In Palm Springs. You Palm lived in Palm Springs. Springs. Like I'm so jealous. I like, can't even. It was like, so fun. And it was like during the winter season. Mm -hmm. So that way I could be like seasonal. I could right. go to Nantucket for the summers and do Palm Springs in the mm -hmm. winter. And it was really fun. It was really challenging because I think I had all these ideas. Like I was like, I'm going to make my wine program this is going to be all burgundy and like that does not sell in palm springs like mm -hmm. no one wants to buy burgundy in palm springs now i think it's different but right because christine at dead or alive has done a lot of work into like making palm springs a really cool wine scene but yeah. it was not at all when i was there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like she was like had was launching like right as i was about to leave right yeah right um and I got my certifications because I was like, I'm going to do it. Like, I remember I took my level one and level two, like within the same month because I was wow. like, I've worked oh in God. wine for so While long. While you were in Palm Springs? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then I moved to Nashville. I got a mm -hmm. job at Husk. Um, Matt Kaner from LA actually got me that job, which is really kind of him because the wine world is really small. So he, he got me my job at Husk in Nashville, which Nashville was not for me. Um... Pro tip, never move anywhere for a guy. Oh, that was a bad idea. Been there and done that. <laughs> I know how that goes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I really loved the restaurant group I worked for. Sean Brock is like a genius and so talented, but like, man, I could not sell a bottle of wine to save my life. Like there's just this mentality in the South that people are like, why is this $40? And I'm like, what? That's what I, yeah. It's, it's a cultural thing. Like, it's definitely, and I don't think that needs to be, like, that doesn't mean that it's a classist or a classism thing. It's just a cultural thing. Like, different regions in the world care about and prioritize different, different things. things. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was, because we had a really impressive bar program there. Like, I learned so much about whiskey and bourbon, and, like, Julian Van Winkle was at our bar, like, every day. Mm -hmm. Um... It was nothing to sell a $200, like, two-ounce shot of bourbon. That was easy. That's what I was going to say. I was like, the whiskey culture there is probably, mm -hmm. like, nobody thinks twice about it because Tennessee whiskey and whatever. But, yeah, you put a $40 man, bottle I was also, table. like, a piece of shit then, the way I ran my wine program. Like, I did not have a Chardonnay by the glass. I did not have a Cabernet Sauvignon by the glass, and I did not have a Pinot Noir by the glass. Mm. I was like, Are if you want Chardonnay, you're going to drink Suave. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you're like, no crowd pleasers, basically. No, no. But in um, a way, like, that's kind of, I mean, people have to be ready for it, but like, you could be pushing people out of their comfort zone in a lot of ways. I think I did. I also think... I've never worked with a restaurant staff that was as talented as my staff at Husk was. I had wine classes every Friday. Every single person would show up. Like there was a point where I didn't even need to sell wine on the floor because like my staff was so 
educated and so stoked on wine, mm-hmm. so excited to learn about wine. Like, it was, I don't even know. I'm still in awe of that group of people. And so many of them have gone on to be wine professionals. Amazing. Which is, yeah, like the dream, right? Right. I was going to say, you planted all those seeds for them. So I was thinking about moving back to the Bay Area, but then also LA, like, was intriguing to me because I felt like it was a city that didn't know what its wine identity was, mm, mm-hmm. um, which I think is still kind of true. And LA is so fun. So sorry, just to go back, mm-hmm. what year are we in this timeline? <laughs> we are in 2017. 17. Okay. Yeah. So a lot happened in those three years. Then, a lot you happened. Went yeah. From dropping out of med school to Palm Springs, Nashville. And then I moved to LA, LA January 1st, 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. when you were in Palm Springs, you never came to LA. You didn't really explore the wine scene here. You were kind of just in the desert. Not really. Yeah, not really. Although I knew Matt because he had gotten involved with Setter Live Bar. Mm-hmm. So he had come out. He had invited Christine Soto, who owns Setter Live Bar, and I to you know Wines of Germany events in LA and things like that. So mm-hmm. I like kind of started to see the LA wine scene, and I was like, LA is cool. Yeah, <laughs> these people are so you know interesting, and I loved working in San Francisco. I feel like San Francisco is very classic, and they know yeah. exactly what type of wine sells there. Um, I think now it's definitely changed and is different, but yeah, there's like more youth youth culture yeah and more irreverence here 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 yeah Yeah. people are like whatever like look at some of the wine bars in LA yeah (laughs) yeah crazy I literally wore sweats last night to a wine party you did (laughs) I was like fully wearing sweats (laughs) it was cold though I had a long day (laughs) you know you really made the right choice I actually looked over at you at one point because I was there too uh was really jealous of the layers that you had on I brought that puffer I knew it was going to be cold Matt didn't believe me he said it was going to be too much you don't need a puffer jacket too heavy I was like no like need coziness you're smart it worked out and then everyone was complaining about how it was freezing it was, it was yeah. really cold and very windy and not that pleasant at one point only because like shit was flying around off the table but oh yeah, yeah. but that aside the evening was fabulous the wine and the vibes were immaculate yes yes yeah for a fact yeah i moved to la i had no job literally almost no money. Like I pretty much exhausted my savings account moving here. I think I had two grand after like putting my down payment down on my apartment. Um, and I got a really weird job working at this like Hungarian restaurant downtown for these people that I think were in the mafia. Like, I don't know. It was a very weird situation. So that's in LA. In LA, yeah. And oh it was like uh, they paid almost nothing. Okay, like, but you I can't really like, say who they are because they might they be mafia. They went out of business. Yeah, oh. they also <laughs> they went out of business like pretty shortly after. And my first day on the job, I was like, holy shit, I cannot work here. Like I remember walking and it was like all these like guys running the program and they were like, what do you do? How are you even old enough to be the wine director? And like did they know what they were doing like no. in terms of wine? So they really had no idea. They hired you. And I could just tell the culture was completely off. Yeah. My first hour. So literally it's my 
workday, I'm an hour in and I'm looking for wine jobs online. Oh my, okay, yeah, not a fit. No, not a fit, not a fit. I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Yeah, you're Um, like, I just spent all my savings to get here. Fuck it. Exactly. (laughs) And so I see Ostria Moza was Mm -hmm. hiring. Mm -hmm. And it was this a Craigslist moment or how do you find wine jobs? Okay. It was Craigslist. Yeah. Um, I applied for the job. I was like, please let me get this job. I texted Matt Kaner and I was like, I know you're really good friends with Kate Green, who at the time was Nancy's assistant and the head of like comms Mm -hmm. at Moza. I was like, can you put in a good word for me, please? And I got an interview. The wine director at Moza is this woman, Sarah Clark, who now runs all of the Mansky project so republic bicyclette etc she is one of the most talented people working the floor in the u.s wow um i remember dylan proctor said that to me about her and i wholeheartedly agree i have never seen somebody who can blind taste the way she can and her depth and breadth of knowledge is incredible couldn't say enough good things about her but like she's stoic so like I go in for this interview and I'm like fuck I did not get this job Mm -hmm. and then two weeks later Sarah called me and offered me a job and like that was my lifeline oh my gosh what would you have done do you think would you have left or would you just try to find somewhere else I would have just tried to find somewhere else but it was so hard because I didn't know anyone in LA yeah and Sarah just took a total chance on me and I mean, Moza is a 90-page all-Italian wine list, like $3 million seller. You get to taste every single bottle you open. Like, so few sommeliers have the opportunity to actually become expert level in Italian wine, Mm -hmm. to talk about the nuance and vintage of, like, different Barolo crews. It's just... Or Sangiovese. Like, it's it's so rare to get an education like that. Yeah, unless you're, like there there are in Italy a handful of programs in the US like Del Posto for sure Um, there's a couple in San Francisco but like wow that's so amazing yeah no it's and working for Sarah like Sarah's the type of boss that I aspire to be she takes really good care of her people um I don't even know if I'm like allowed to say this, but like she would never like leave any of us alone in a room with Mario Batali. You know what I mean? She would like mm-hmm. handle all of his wine, so like none of her female psalms were mm-hmm. even in the room. Like she just took care of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's like a true leader. Like really. Yes. Especially in a questionable and male dominant industry that's like notorious for a lot of shit. Yeah. Yes. That's like really amazing. Incredible. Like would work for her time and time again. And while I was at Moza, I met my co-founder, Emma Toshak, uh, for Nomadica. Because, you know, yes, it's super cool to sell $3,000 bottles of wine, right? But, like, that is just, it's just like a dick-wagging contest. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes those people have no clue what they're drinking. They just, like, want the price tag. Right. But I always really loved the table that was intimidated to talk to the sommelier. They thought I was gonna like rip them off or judge their wine tastes. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get them into like an affordable, great bottle and make them feel good about it. And like so- build that trust and build the community of wine, which yeah. ultimately is what it should be. Exactly, because taste is one of our most innate sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. We all eat and smell since like the moment we're born Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so people are always like well I'm not a wine expert but I like this wine and it's like you don't need to be a wine expert to know if you like wine right 
Yes. Yes. That's literally what I say all the time. I'm like the best way to like learn about wine is to literally just drink the wine. Yes. Drink all wines. Drink it all. A hundred percent. All the time. <laughs> like you don't need to do more than that. Don't overthink it. Like I, when I was working at Saison, which is like a three Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco, I remember the wine director, Mark Bray, poured me a glass of like the most rare expensive wine ever. It's this dessert wine uh, called Chateau Ikem from Bordeaux. And it was from the 1800s it's like the from the 1860s and the bottle or the estate the bottle oh my god I'm nervous and I was like this tastes like urine why do people like this I do not get it and like that was you know it's an old ass bottle so like yeah my my like hot take is that I don't really like super old wine but they take a really long time to open I've had that experience I mean in that one I don't even want to know how long that would take it's like what? That's like two hundred years. Yeah, one hundred and fifty years old. Like it's probably gonna taste like piss a it little was bit. So bad for a while. Like, <laughs> I like keep thinking about that moment because I can't even imagine how much money that bottle cost. But at that point, it it cost that because of the year it was made, like because of the vintage. It cost that because it's been sitting in some dusty ass cellar forever. And like it's just a novelty at this point. Like, just don't open it because yeah, I like, mean, it's unicorn. It made wine. it this far. <laughs> You're gonna open like, it now. <laughs> total unicorn wine. Like, yeah, I'll never taste that again in my life. Well, good because it tastes like piss. Yeah. So <laughs> whatever. Good riddance. But now I'm like, I wonder if I would. I would think that now that I have a developed palate. Like, yeah, yeah, you'd probably pick up on something. Yeah, you'd probably like not want to. Yes. Exactly. No, you know what? I'm like all about it. I'm like too honest, probably for my own good. Um, So, okay. So you met your co-founder at Motza. Motza, I met her through a mutual. Oh, so she wasn't even working with you. You just met her in that era of your of your life. She was like working at Snapchat. Oh, okay. So she's not in wine. Not in wine. Like Harvard MBA, business school. Okay. Yeah, totally different path than me. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So you're, you're now like three or four years into your, at this point of the story, you're three or four years into your wine journey and you want to like bridge this gap. But at like, what point were you like, let's just like make this into a business. Like this is like, like what, what happens in your mind where you're like business idea, let's make this happen. You know, I wanted to, like, bring that sommelier curation into a business because I feel like wine is needlessly pretentious Mm -hmm. and intimidating, and more people would drink wine if it were, like, easier to bridge that gap. We went into cans because we were talking about making a wine company, and we were like, how would this work? Like, how you know, if we took this, like, sommelier curated idea, working with boutique independent small producers and, like getting great wine into the hands of many, right? Because so many mm-hmm. winemakers don't know how to market themselves or distribute themselves, et cetera, or don't have the energy or money or time. It's such a shit show. Don't even get me started on how much I hate the three-tier system of distribution <laughs> in the U.S. But we went into cans because I love the fact that cans have half the carbon footprint of a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And I so deeply believe that if you give people better options, they will take them. Yes. And 100%. now that we're a couple years into it, we've really realized that our wine is great because people can have like the perfect glass of wine at home without having to open up a bottle, right? If you're just 
yourself or I mean yeah. I don't know how how you are in your house but if I open up a <laughs> bottle of wine alone like I'm gonna drink all of it yeah like <laughs> yeah no yeah even if I don't mean to mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. so having the cans I like to say that we're the perfect pour uh, it is it really mm-hmm. is the perfect pour little more than a glass but less than two mm-hmm. and we also did something interesting because if I'm like standing in front of you as your sommelier telling you this Brunello di Montalcino tastes like God walking down your throat in velvet slippers, <laughs> you're going to be like, yeah, this is the best wine I've ever had. But how do you like take the sommelier out of the restaurant and put them on the retail shelf? So we decided art was the best way to do that. So we partner mm-hmm. with artists on each of our labels. And I'll be honest, Emma and I did our own labels at first. They were not that good. Thankfully, my creative director, Aiden Duffy, joined us in September of 2020 and, like, is a genius. So, so your re-branded. first labels were designed by you or they were curated by you? Curated. Art, art curated We by worked you. with artists. They were... Oh, my God. I remember one of my friends who's an artist. He was like, Kristen, these look like canvases that you get at Target for $10. And I was like, dude, that's so savage. But okay, you're right. <laughs> you had to dig a little bit deeper for like the edgy yeah. art vibes you yeah. were looking for. Yeah. Well, we did a rebrand. I mean, also Emma and I parted ways. Um, she went to go pursue other interests because like running your own business yeah. sucks. It's, it's not fun. Um, and I stepped into like sole founder CEO role, which was really scary for me because mm-hmm. I did not think that I deserved to be there for so long. Did you ever have the moment of thinking like she's walking away, maybe I should walk away? Or was that more of like a very personal choice for her? And so like you knew there was still like room and space to take this project. Well, I had to take it because I had investors who invested oh, so, in me. Okay, so there was already like yes. stuff on the table. You were like, fuck, I have no choice. Backs against the wall. Like, she's leaving. I gotta just keep going because hopefully well, yeah, and you I sail through the like, storm. I, this is my baby. Like, I'm so yeah. passionate about right. what we're doing and like really believe in changing the carbon footprint of the wine industry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also believe that more women need to own businesses and be in positions of leadership yes yes, like there are so few female ceos there are so few women who raise venture capital Mm -hmm. there are so few women who get their businesses past a million dollars in revenue like those numbers are like two percent wow which is which i feel like could be a whole podcast in itself just to talk about Mm -hmm the business antics of female entrepreneurship. And I think now, I mean, now I have, you know, seven people on my team. Seven people. I know. I'm a- yes. Congrats. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. But like still do everything, still feel an insane amount of pressure, but how can you show up and be a great leader if you're super stressed out? For sure. And that's like something I have to constantly check myself on. It's yeah. like, like two weeks ago, I, you know, I've been fundraising. So I've been like waking up super early and working mm-hmm. really late. And I just was getting like really irritable and like mm-hmm. angry for no reason, you know? And so I was like, okay, I need to take a 30 minute break. I need to go like read outside or something like that because I have to talk to my team and like that attitude yeah. will be felt. Right. And like, that's not the type of leader I want to be. Right. Right. And that's like not who you are as a person. It's, that's just a reflection of whatever stress you have going on in Mm -hmm. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it's been challenging, but I think like I'm finally in a place where I'm navigating it better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Every it's always it's peaks and valleys. You know? Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure every week in entrepreneur entrepreneur world comes with like a new adventure <laughs> to have to go through. Understatement. Or then, you know, this week it's like a celebrity wine brand launched their canned wine. Uh, yes. <laughs> always something. I'm thinking about starting a marketing campaign. That's like, I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a sommelier. I was going to say, let's talk about celebrity owned anything. How do you feel about it? I really wonder when celebrity-backed products are going to lose their cachet. Mm. I feel like we're almost starting to see it right now, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, there's, like, this heightened awareness just in terms of, like, consumer culture, and maybe it's a little bit because of TikTok, and maybe it's whatever. I don't know what it's youth culture, Gen Z, whatever. But, like, we're questioning more, right? Like, we're, like, our value system has definitely shifted in the last three or four years, definitely in the last two years. And people are like, just because you're like pandering to like a certain audience with this like one product, like doesn't mean that we're just going to so easily fall for it. But at the same time, while I feel like consumers aren't as receptive to that, I also feel like more and more celebrities are trying to jump on any bandwagon that they can. Like, it's not just in beverage. It's not just in wine. It's not just in tequila or whatever. It's like in makeup, in household products, in baby products. It's like, oh, I had a kid. So all of a sudden I like have this eco-friendly like baby company. It's like, what? Or like, like Chris Jenner's cleaning products. Yeah, that's what it, yeah, like, exactly. Chris Jenner doesn't clean her house. Right, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's, I think we're in a, a really weird time right now in terms of consumer product goods where it is easier than ever to create a product, harder than ever to be successful at it. Yes, I am. Yeah, for sure. So that's like, yeah. So a celebrity, I get why people are like partnering with celebrities because it's like guaranteed success. It's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for how long, right? Like they right now, like I feel like the the big brands, the big companies, like they're thinking like, yeah, guaranteed money because it is there. There is definitely like consumer power in having a celebrity be like the face of your product, but for how long? Because we're all like kind of waking up to like, I'm not, I don't care about Jessica Alba's whatever brand at Target. Yeah. Like how does she know? Yeah. I want, exactly. I want an expert. Yeah. I think we are reaching carrying capacity right now because, and that's what I think is so amazing about TikTok and like Gen Z, like y'all are crazy. I love it. I'm not Gen Z though. You're so. not Gen Z. No, I'm. You millenni- I'm 31. Oh my god, your <laughs> face is so fresh. Oh, thanks. It's the Botox. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Mine touched up yesterday. No, um, like seriously. Well, I'm a millennial too, but I think I'm like envious of Gen Z culturally because. So this is the part of the podcast where you might hear a commercial or an advertisement. And if you are a brand and you would like to promote your product or your service or yourself, send me an email. Let's connect. Let's collaborate. As you know, this is a self-produced podcast and I am happy to provide space for your advertisements. Now, back to our show. I will, Okay, so what I want to know is like... You're already like a couple years into this process with Nomadica. Mm-hmm. 
where do you start? Like as like I know you have experience and you have a background in wine and obviously you know people in wine at probably various levels of the wine industry. Your partner didn't have it seems much wine experience. None. Um zero. How did you know where to start? Like where were you just like where am I going to get wine to put in this can? How do I even seal a can? Like <laughs> that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was cuz it's like everything you can look up online. Like it's really easy to form an LLC or a C Corp mm-hmm. or like set up the bare bones of your business online. Anyone can do that. That's easy. Wine, easy. I have so many winemaker friends, so much wine out there in the world. I know a lot of people who had been canning beer. It's not mm-hmm. that different. Like that part was fine. Okay. Raising money. Mm. Having, cause like I didn't have any money. Like I was working two jobs for most of my life with Nomadica. Mm-hmm. Like working Nomadica, not paying myself. And then, you know, working at Moza at night to yeah. pay the bills. And that is the number one reason I think people don't start businesses because of lack of access to capital. Because I yeah. do think a lot of people that I see, this is my hot take, um, really wealthy people are founders because mm-hmm. it's easier for them. You right. know, when you have family money or you have family connections to venture capital or private equity, like it's going to be so much easier for you. Yeah. And I, I really hope that in my next life after Nomadica, um, I would like to work on the venture side and help people who don't come from mm-hmm. wealthy backgrounds, start businesses and have access to capital. Like that's something I feel so strongly about because we're not gonna ever see social change right. until- Structures change. Exactly. Like yeah. it's all about money and leadership. Yeah. It's like who has money, who's in positions of power, who owns companies and right. who's like in the C-suite. Right, right. And yeah. until there are more people of color and more women mm-hmm. in those positions, like we're not going to have social change. Totally. We live in a capitalist society that's like so fucked up. So yeah. that's yeah. my hot take. But I thankfully um, had a lot of really cool regulars at Moza that just love me. Mm-hmm. Like Jason Priestley is like one of my investors because oh <laughs> he would come into Moza all the time and him and his wife were awesome. And He's a huge wine lover. He loves Chianti. Like he's just obsessed with Sangiovese and they tasted our wine and he's like, this is so cool. Like awesome. Like let me invest. And so it's just really like putting, I mean, you have to put yourself out there. Yes. Put your product out there. Mm -hmm. You have to be like, I started a business. Mm -hmm. We're looking for investment. Like not be afraid to like share what you're doing. Exactly. Somebody gave me this piece of advice, another CEO who I went to him asking him for advice on how to raise money and he actually ended up investing. And he was like, you need to pretend like, actually this advice has not aged well, but he's like, you need to pretend that your company is Uber. And that you're giving people a chance. I know now Uber's like not a good thing, but. He was saying like, you're Uber like in that you're providing value like these people are going to make tons of money because you believe in yourself so much that you are going to make them so successful okay and that's kind of like also like a snap like snapchat right like snapchat was kind of that same thing where they like they like denied like to be bought like multiple times until they were like no we're worth a billion we're worth a billion and then they were worth a billion exactly but yeah so i think finding angel investors or finding people who can introduce you to angel investors and mm-hmm. raise capital mm-hmm. 
is number one. And like, you have to talk to people. Like you have to put together a deck. No one does like people talk about business plans. No one does a business plan. That's a lie. Um, I'm really great at making decks by the way. See, Yep. Um, (laughs) I can't tell you how many decks I've looked at for like first time founders. Mm -hmm. Like, and yes. So like I'd say step one, make a deck, Mm -hmm. like think all the elements of your business out, um, your route to market, how you're going to capitalize it. Numbers are really intimidating. Don't let that psych you out. Just like put some numbers down on the page, Mm -hmm. like back of envelope math. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just (laughs) needs to be good enough. Um, And think about your marketing plan and then like put that all down on paper and then go to a founder or many founders and like get their advice. Like I still, you know, I've been doing this for five years and I still have my founder friends look at my deck. Like, Ashwarya from Brightland, Melanie from Gia, Terry from Jinx. Like they all looked at my deck and gave me feedback on it. I love how that. to make it better. That's amazing. See, there is a network of entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs who are like so down to like keep everyone like building up. Like 100%. that's like so that's honestly like so inspiring. Like I know that there's this kind of feeling like Recently, I've noticed just in media and maybe on TikTok or whatever, this like anti-girl boss uh, culture. Mm. But I still, where I like understand where that sentiment might come from, I still really truly believe in that girl boss mentality, creating community that like uplifts everyone else who's trying to do similar work. Like I really do think that there is a network of female entrepreneurs that maybe I don't know personally, but I see them like on Instagram and I see them like working with friends of mine and I'm like, damn, like they are really linking arms, which is like really fucking cool to see, like really cool to see so many people like working towards what they want to do to make a change in whatever industry that they're in. Backlash against girl boss culture really pisses me off Yeah, because well, first of all, it is a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people are like, oh, you're a female CEO. And it's like, no, motherfucker, I'm a CEO. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, first things first. We don't need to yeah. put the like mm-hmm. label on it. But we still have really far to go. The yeah. amount of venture funding that went to female founders actually decreased last year from 3% to 2%. That is an abysmal number. Wow. Why do you think that there was a, like, given everything that's going on, like, why do you think that? I think at the end of the day, you know, who's making the decisions on mm-hmm. who gets capital? Like, white men who typically come from money went to a certain handful of schools, even went to a certain handful of private schools in undergrad, are bankers working in investment, working at venture capital firms, and you're more comfortable investing in people that look like you. Yeah. And it's so fucked up. Like, let's just get a, let's get into double digits for female founded brands. Like, please. Like, that's doing the bare minimum. 2% is just embarrassing. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And then they're always like, well, so it's you know, like 98% not- is going to men. Yes. Men founded. Yes. That's, and that's- well, they did find out that 15% of those companies were a male female partner. So if you have a male co-founder, <laughs> you get more funding. Yes. That's crazy. The data proves it. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know it makes you like so depressed and angry, but yeah, that's I mean, wild. That fact like I have a couple female investors that are you know in their like 50s are really successful in their careers or like winding down in their careers 
and they're not formal advisors. And these women go to fucking bat for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. The ferocity, the power that they just display in you. Well, I also really love it because like I'm able to be vulnerable with her and Mm -hmm. honestly, like many of my female investors in a way that I'm not able to be vulnerable with like I have a very different attitude when I'm talking to my male investors of course you have to be like I'm like buttoned up as fuck yeah like yeah. completely unemotional if I'm delivering bad news I'm like this is what we're gonna do about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and I didn't used to be like that I would be like what do you think we should do <laughs> like uh and like that got nipped in the bud really quick yeah um yeah you learn to adapt, I guess. Yeah, but. I mean, you just unfortunately have to like create this almost like false version of yourself. Like I sometimes feel like I'm acting, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of women feel like that in any workplace, yeah. and probably more so when you're like trying to run a business and run a company. Um, but I feel like across the board, that's definitely like a common sentiment. There's a whole, yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole new persona that you, you have to be a specific way. You have to be unemotional, like you said, um, which is like, it's like even the slightest like tone in voice, like change of your tone of voice or anything will trigger a man to be like, oh, well, she just got so upset. She just felt whatever. And it's like you're you have to just really like lace yourself up like you said and that's that's so annoying like that's just like because they can fucking do whatever the fuck they want like they could throw a tantrum if they want and people don't care yeah like people will just be like oh like i don't know you look at the oscars and like i know oh my god (laughs) like um that was a full tantrum but we don't get that luxury and that's i think what's like so hard for like women or queer people or people of color mm-hmm. in leadership positions, it's like you have to be fucking perfect. Yeah. You don't get to make mistakes. You don't mm-hmm. get to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, no like room for growth in a way. No, I mean, there, I will you, say you should always be growing, but like, yeah, you, you're expected to be. Mm-hmm. That is the best thing about running my own company. Like, I create the culture of my company. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that is. Which is awesome. It is awesome. And I do feel like I have curated a really incredible team who I adore so deeply. Like I think hiring is one of my best strengths. Like I just kind of go with my gut. I like to hire people with like high care factors. Um, You don't need to have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. people can learn how to do anything, but like high care factor, you can't teach. And I really appreciate the fact that like I can be vulnerable with my team if something bad happens, you know, or like something good happens. Like we get to all celebrate the wins together and crazy actually. See, I think this is my issue in my company is that Mm -hmm. I constantly work and I think that sets a really bad example. So something I've had to learn to do is only email people during working hours Okay. Yeah. Like I work, I work on the weekends. All yeah. Like I work just, like on your phone and, and you're checking email. Yes, yeah. But like, I don't want to be that person that's emailing my team late night and having them cause everyone checks their email. We're all crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't want them to feel like pressure to respond mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I've made a conscious decision over the last year to not email people on the weekend or at night. That's a good, I think that's a really good practice, not just for them, but also for you. Yes. Gives you a chance to disconnect and be like, okay, this is not a work hour for me. So I can 
Well, no, think about something else. I just don't email my team. Then I email other people. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think this is like the, the good and bad thing about owning your own business. Like I would, I would caution anyone who is thinking of starting their own business. Like make sure you have a really great support system. Um, at I, home and in the office at home, like period. Mm-hmm. Like I actually met my husband. We had just started dating like a couple months after he started Nomadica. Oh my God. So he's been through it all. I feel seen the whole so bad for him. Sometimes. He's seen the whole breakdown of it. Well, not breakdown, but no, like literally he's how seen it all unfolded. My mental breakdowns multiple times. And he's like, Oh God. And he has done so much free labor for me, um, mm-hmm. helping me with my cash flow model or designing things because he's like a 3D motion designer. I just. That's I, what amazing partners are for. I would not like, be truly. in my position without Joey. Yeah. Like he is. Yeah, you, like you said, a support system, but like a partner who like gets it and can help you and uplift you because mm-hmm. most of the time you're going to be feeling like yeah. you just can't fucking do it that day. But. You need yeah. one person standing behind you to be like, nope. And they just keep pushing you along and pick it up where you need them to. And like great friends. Like yeah. I have really good friends. I'm very, and some of my friends own businesses or like Ashwarya from Brightland. She mm-hmm. has become one of my best friends over the last few years. Like we, if we have a question about anything, like, hey, I got this in a term sheet. Have you seen this before? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. having relationships like that or somebody who understands what you're going through and you're like, I like I can't even tell you how many times I've called her and been like, I want to give up. Yeah. Like the yeah. rejection's getting to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know, I know, but just Yeah. Yeah, it's people take- who she has similar experiences and I'm sure there's other friends of yours that have similar experiences that have been through or will go through what you're going through. And that's like the best thing to have is a support system that knows exactly how to handle and how to go through it. Exactly. And I think I I heard of one like venture capital firm that does like therapy sessions for their founders and they like, they work really hard on making sure their founders have good mental health, but I wish there were more of that in the world. Yeah. That's a really like interesting initiative. Mm -hmm. It's just so important. I mean, even my advisors, they're always like, are you doing okay? Like, how's your, like one of my advisors is like, please take fucking breaks in the day. <laughs> you sound crazy right now. Like you need to take a break sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Or like when you get really hard, bad news, like take a half a day off. Yeah. You know, like don't just feel like you have to constantly work all the time because it's right. hustle culture that we live in and it's depressing as fuck. So I think that's something important to carry with you as you are planning for the future of your business, any business. Like you can only go as far as you're mentally and emotionally prepared to, mm-hmm. right? And like I do believe that like, you know, certain certain circumstances can push you into boundaries and areas that you haven't explored before, but like you have to be emotionally and mentally prepared for that. And I think checking in with yourself and like taking those half days or, you know, creating specific work hours or emailing hours for yourself just to guide you there and be the best version that you can be so you can lead a team because nobody wants a Nobody wants to be a part of a team that like is falling apart because there's no like true leadership. And I think that's really important. Or the really leadership important. is miserable and burnt yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. It's you can't like, be a leader if you're burnt out. No. You can't. So yeah, I think that's, no, I think it's like a super important 
an amazing thing that your advisors are able to help you do too. Like recognize when like you need to check in with yourself and just be like, Hey, like take a day. It's okay. Like half day, have breakfast, <laughs> you know, like, eat lunch, eat like lunch. sit down for yeah. a half hour mm-hmm. and don't check your email and eat lunch. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That being said, let's talk about the future of Nomadica. It's five years from this conversation and Nomadica is in all of the biggest retailers in North America. You see Nomadica at Target. Everyone has it in their refrigerator. What's Kristen doing? This is my, that's my three-year plan. Um, (laughs) Oh, okay, good. If I were to sell Nomadica, which will probably happen, you know, Honestly, I remember when I started, I was like, I'm going to sell in four years. That's such a lie. It's going to be like 10 years um, more from from now. I want to work in venture capital. I want to make fundraising more equitable. Amazing. And I want to like mentor and guide young founders. Love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because like pass down the torch. Exactly. You had- There's so many coaches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where were you a CEO? Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to be a coach for CEOs if you've never done it? Right, 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 right. Like, yeah. you don't understand the crippling <laughs> doubt, <laughs> anxiety, yeah. self-defeat, like the stress. Um, or I will just like be a climate change activist. I love that too. I'll probably do both. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, you could be both. Yeah, it could be both. Definitely will be both, especially when Nomadic is everywhere. And all you 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 can press pause on your like work life and actually like work on things that are like maybe not as stressful. Well what I'm hoping <laughs> happens someday is that like a large alcohol company takes a majority stake in Nomadica mm-hmm. and then I get to maybe step back a little bit from like running the, the parts of the business that I'm not super good at yeah, and more doing sure. like the vision stuff and working right. on making Nomadica carbon neutral company and mm-hmm. love that yeah. like all of our sustainability initiatives and m- making boxed wine into a big thing and developing our Nomadica RTDs mm-hmm. and doing the the parts of the business that I really do think I can bring the most value to mm-hmm. and like that stuff's so fun yeah. So that's where you really, yeah, that's where you thrive. I think. Yeah. That's yeah. Where. And I will always be involved with restaurants. Like I'll never stop doing lists in LA. I'm so excited. There for might you. be some fun ones coming up. Ooh. Yes. So I'm going to stay tuned. Yeah. For that. I'm sure we will hear from you about it yes. in the near future. Okay. Well, to round off this interview, I have a rapid fire question session. Okay. Are you down? I'm for ready. This rapid fire. I'm ready. Okay. Soul fights. Love them or hate them? Ambivalent. <laughs> okay. Mary fuck kill grape varietals. Mary fuck kill Trebbiano, Pais, Barolo. Oh my God. Definitely would fuck. Nebbiolo and Barolo. It's super no, not, sexy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Mary Trebbiano because it's so versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, it evolves mm-hmm. over time. It depends on where it's from. It's so different. And then would kill Pais. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Italian girl. I can't help it. I know. I figured I was like, should I do three Italian wines? I was like, I'm going to throw one in there that'll maybe. 
if you could share a bottle of wine with anybody in the world, who would it be? Alive, not alive, anyone that you want to share a bottle with? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Okay, I'm going to really out myself right now as a fucking creep. But okay, so <laughs> in high school and in college, I was in a lot of bands. I was in a lot of Riot Girl bands. Okay. And Sleater Kinney is my favorite band ever. And Carrie Brownstein, who's like the guitarist, and now she's like a comedian on Portlandia and like doing all these things. I've just always been obsessed with her. Okay. And I want to share a bottle of wine with her when she would come into Moza on dates. I'd be so creepy. Why didn't you like... No, I would be so creepy. I'd be like, can I get your wine for you? And everyone would be like, you are so awkward. Stop, oh Kristen. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, it would be her. I love her. Okay. That's great. Okay. So you were in a band. Yes. What instruments do you play? I play guitar and I would sing. And I'd write these like really Fun fact political. that we did not know before April 13th, 2022, mm -hmm. is that Kristen plays the guitar and sings in Riot Girl bands. You know, here we are. Actually, my I best can, friend is like married to somebody that I used to be in a band with. Oh my God. I know, I set them up. Oh my God, wait, where can I see you performing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Those videos are secret. Okay, well, thank you for joining this podcast. This was a lot of fun and also very inspiring to hear your story, how you started in wine, where you're at now, all the things you went through to get here, and that you're just being such a badass and just like so amazing for other people in this industry and other industries. I'm really excited for you and I'm really honored to have you on my podcast and I'm really honored to be your friend and I'm really honored for this conversation. This oh was God. so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I love you so much. I Thank you for you. having me on. Thank you. Thanks for sitting at my table not eating. Sorry. And that, my friends, is this week's episode. Thank you again to Kristen for sharing her story and her journey. I hope that somebody out there hears this podcast and is inspired to change it up, to change their life and dive into something unexpected and something that brings them a lot of joy the way that she did. And thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of my wine journey. This is part of my journey, and I hope that it is inspiring you all. Also, I apologize if there was any background noise from cars and cats and whatever else. I'm still trying to figure out how to podcast in a downtown LA located studio, but I love you, and thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and share and comment on this podcast, and it's on Spotify now. Thanks. Bye.